As we go to open God's word, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, when Moses had already ruled over your people for 40 years, he prayed, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. And so I earnestly pray, Father, that the things I am going to teach your disciples not be the winds of error, but the needed and fruitful rains of the truth. May my interpretations not be a violent rain destroying the church of your Son and casting down consciences, but a dew of consolation and a useful edification for their souls. And I would wish that after you have heard and listened to our prayers that all those who are here present may not listen to the sacred seed of your word like a footpath or thorns or a rocky field, but may they be the good soil and the field prepared by your spirit that will bring forth from the scriptures which have been implanted in the furrows of their hearts fruits at 30 and 60 and 100 fold. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. We used a kind of historic prayer this morning from the Heidelberg Liturgy. That was a prayer for illumination, really, from Peter Martyr Vermigli, who was an Italian reformer. And I thought it was a, a wonderful prayer and a good prayer for ministers to keep in mind as they preach. Uh, please turn with me in God's word to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As I said, we're continuing a series on the, on the Lord's Prayer using the Heidelberg Catechism as an outline of what's being taught in God's Word. We want to look together at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, as the Lord teaches His disciples His prayer. Um, you'll find that on page 1031 of many of our pew Bibles. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Um, it's the first book of the New Testament, so it comes after the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and before the second book, Mark. We want to look together at Matthew chapter 6, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll think together about Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. That'll be our text for this evening. Matthew chapter 6, beginning our reading at verse 5, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, we're often interested in expert opinions, uh, especially on topics that we really like. Um, if you're interested in politics, maybe you watch a, a debate between candidates and then you tune in to see what the experts have to say about who did well, who did poorly. Um, often to confirm what it is we thought of the debates or uh, persuade us that we've been wrong. If you're interested in sports, you might watch commentators, experts who are going to break down the big game before you watch it. 
I remember a number of years ago, I got a book on time management from, from professionals who were um, excellent in their careers or Olympic athletes about how they manage their time uh, to try to help uh, do better with how I manage my time from these experts on time management. Um, I wish I gleaned more from the book than I did, but we're always interested in expert opinions, whether we follow good advice or not. Um, we're always interested. And when it comes to prayer, when it comes to spiritual matters, there's certainly no better expert on those things than our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's no surprise that the disciples wanted him to teach them how to pray. And last time when we thought about the Lord's Prayer at the beginning, we looked at his instruction to his disciples from Luke chapter 11, and we we thought about how the instruction for prayer there comes right on the heels of them listening to him pray. Um, right, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Uh, that hearing the Lord pray was an occasion for them to say, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, and they, they show us that this was common for a, a teacher to teach his disciples how to do this. John's disciples taught him how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Um, and, of course, they could have no better instructor than Jesus. And they certainly wanted to be able to pray the way Jesus did. Um, we don't know what it was, the prayer that they heard or other occasions when Jesus prayed. Certainly, the Lord's Prayer is not the only way Jesus prayed. We have a long prayer of our Lord in John 17 that we often call the high priestly prayer, and there we get to hear how our Lord pours out his heart to his Father on behalf of his disciples and on behalf of us. Um, so we know that this is not the only way the Lord prayed, but it is interesting that when they ask for instruction and when he gives instruction, he says, when you pray, say... And then we saw in Luke 11, it followed the, the Lord's Prayer in a somewhat abbreviated form. Um, and here in Matthew, we have it in, in the fuller form that we know it. But here, too, we see the Lord's Prayer coming up, again, in the context of instructions about prayer. Uh, not here in the context of the disciples asking him to teach them to pray, but in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, it comes in the course of teaching, and it still is in the context of teaching about prayer that the Lord teaches them about the Lord's Prayer. Um, he teaches this prayer while he's instructing them to not pray like hypocrites and Gentiles. And what are the problems with some of their prayers? Well, in Matthew 6, 7 through 9, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Don't be like them. Don't heap up empty phrases hoping that almost you can just weary the God into doing what he wants you to do. That was sort of a pagan way of praying. Almost if you pester him enough, the God will answer you. Um, this is sort of what we saw the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel when they challenged and were challenged by Elijah. Um, what did they do? We're told there in 1 Kings 18 that they called upon the name of Baal from morning to noon. Um, we probably never, none of us prayed that long from morning to noon. And they carried on praying to Baal. And around noon, Elijah was so sick of it that he, you remember, insulted them. You know, maybe Baal is napping or maybe he's in the can. Maybe you should cry louder. 
Maybe you should carry on more. And you remember, after Elijah said this to them, they did carry on more, and we're told they did it from midday till the time of the evening sacrifice. Um, and they cried and they cried, right? Morning to noon, noon to evening. They called and they called. And what does the Holy Spirit tell them about their prayers? Tell us about their prayers in 1 Kings 18, 29. No one answered. No one paid attention. Um, Jesus is reminding his disciples, we, we don't have a father like that. You don't need to heap up phrases and keep calling as if only by pestering him enough he'll listen to you. He already actually knows what you need. He's willing to be heard. You don't need to heap up empty phrases. I think today when we pray, when we heap up empty phrases, it's usually not because we have some kind of Gentile conviction about prayer. It's just because we get sloppy. Um, Maybe you you hear yourself being sloppy in your own prayers. Um, We can be sloppy by saying just a million times in our prayer. Lord, I just pray for this. I just pray for that. As if the Lord has told us, there's only a certain number of things I'll give you. So if you if you don't pray for, if you just pray for a few things, then you might get them, right? We can, we can do that over and over again. I remember a, a, a time my dad visited a Roman Catholic friend of ours in the hospital, and he always takes occasion to pick on my dad for being a Protestant. My dad picks on him for being Roman Catholic. They've been friends for years. But he came in and said, what's wrong with you Protestants when you pray? And my dad said, what do you mean by that? He said, don't you think God knows his own name? And my dad said, well, yeah, I think God knows his own name. Why would you ask me that? And he said, well, the chaplain was in praying for the guy in the bed next to me, and he just couldn't stop repeating the Lord's name. Lord God, do this. Father God, do that. And it was just this. He said, does the Almighty not know his own name? And I think, you know, we can sometimes do that, right? When we hear ourselves heaping up empty phrases because we're being sloppy. We're not being thoughtful about our prayers. Uh, We're trying too little to pay attention to what we're saying to the Lord. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus says, you don't need to heap up things. Um, You don't need to do all that work. Uh, You can be simple with the Lord. And Jesus teaches us a better way to pray. It's a simple but glorious way to pray. It's a simple prayer that's composed of an opening introduction, um, a preface, to the prayer, we might say, an opening introduction to it, six simple petitions or requests that we make to God, and a simple close or conclusion. It's a simple way to pray. That's not to say it's simplistic. In that simple prayer, we learn profound things about who our God is and who the God is that we are addressing. Um, and that's really what the catechism takes the time to do, to think about the things we say in the Lord's Prayer and to consider how profound they really are. How wonderful it is to know these things about our God and to pray these things about our God. Um, and the opening address is important. Um, that's why it's good for us to pause and meditate on prayer because I think how often do we rush through the, the preliminaries so that we can get to what we really need from God? Right? Father in heaven, here's all the things I need. Uh, Here's all the things that are troubling me. And certainly the Lord receives those things, but it's worth pausing and meditating on who it is that we're addressing. 
and what even that address tells us about our God. And that's what really Lord's Day 46 of the Catechism helps us to do, and that's what we want to think about from the Lord's Word. When you address God, pray like this, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Um, And just those words teach us profound things. And that's what the Catechism really does. It, It separates into two questions those profound things. What it is, why did Christ command us to address God as our Father? And how does it help us or what does it remind us of when we consider him as our Father who art in heaven? And that's really what we want to think about together. Really just those simple but profound things. Who our Father is and where our Father is. And how that helps us as we pray and come into his presence. Who our Father is and where our Father is. That's really what we begin in the Lord's Prayer, with who our Father is. Question 120 asks, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father, to awaken us at the very beginning of our prayer to what should be basic to our prayer? A childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse the things of this life. Sometimes I think we don't appreciate how surprising it would have been for the disciples to hear Jesus tell them, address God as your father. Um, How sort of shocking it would be for them, for Jesus to refer to God as your father. And to say to them as individuals, when you pray individually, pray like this to God. And call him your father. That was not some of the ways they would think about speaking about God. Um, There's something profound in that. Uh, Those instructions there are singular, which make them interesting. Um, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Those are individual, addressed singularly to you. Each of you, Jesus is saying, when you do this, pray like this. Your Father knows what you need. That would have been somewhat radical for them. Because God was called Father in the Old Testament, but almost always in a a plural sense, that he was God of many things and God over all, and Father of many things and Father over all. Um, Israel is referred to as God's firstborn son in Exodus. Uh, that's what the Lord tells Pharaoh. Let, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my firstborn son go. Or I'll take your firstborn son. Because I'm a father. Uh, that's how he talked about he himself being the father of the nation. Sometimes he's addressed as father when his people thought about him as the creator of all things. Sometimes they addressed him as father when they thought of him as being lord of his people. Sometimes they addressed him as father, as the Lord against whom the people have sinned. And like we saw from Psalm 103, as we sang it together this evening, he is the Lord of mercy and forgiveness, a father who has compassion on his children. But almost always when God was referred to as father, it was, as one person put it, in a corporate, national, or covenantal sense. This is different. Jesus says, you call him your father. And that kind of singular form of address from a person to God 
would be, as someone said, quite extraordinary. It would have been striking and unusual for them to hear this. But why does Christ want us to do that? Why does he want his people to address the Father that way? Because for his dearly loved people, he is not merely the Father of our creation, the Father who's common to all mankind. He has become our Father with respect to our redemption and reception into divine favor through Christ our mediator. He is the Father who has redeemed us by the blood of his Son. And we belong to him. This is a title that we use as God's people, reminding us that we are no longer who we were by nature. Because we were created to be children of God. But through our sin and rebellion, we fell out of God's favor. Right? We committed ourselves to the wrong course in this world, and we became children of our father, the devil. By nature, no longer children of God, but by nature, children of wrath. It's the terrible assessment of the situation that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God created mankind to be children of his, and we became children of wrath by our sins. But Christ instructs his people to address God as their father, because when we do that, we're reminded of who we have become by the grace of God. It's not by nature that we call God our Father. It's by His adopting grace. We've been adopted through the grace of Christ into the family of God. That's how God has become our Father. It's the wonderful truth that John proclaimed in John 1, 11 to 13. And He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is a profound way in which the Lord Jesus is reminding his people, you have become children of God by the grace of your Father, showered on you in his Son. It's through Christ we've been adopted into the family of God. We've been saved by grace. He's also the Father who has not only redeemed us and received us into his favor through Christ, but he's also regenerated and sanctified us by the Holy Spirit who is sent to dwell within us. It's important when we think about how we've been brought into the family of God that we remember that adoption is an act of the triune God. We've been adopted by the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. That's a triune God who has worked to bring us into his family. That's why sometimes when people consider this opening address that we address God as our Father, they've sometimes asked, can we, can we pray to Jesus? 
Can we pray to the Holy Spirit? Is that okay to do? And as a pastor, when people ask me that question, I always say, of course, you can pray to the Lord. All three persons of the Godhead are God. You may pray to them. But sometimes I think we miss the fact that when we pray to the Father, we are praying to the Father in Christ's name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every prayer is an act of the triune God in response to the work of the triune God. We really can't just pray to the Father because we always pray to the Father in the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, God, the triune God, has adopted us into his family. And when we pray to the Father, we are communicating to and through the Son and the Spirit as well. And it's a recognition that even though Jesus Christ is the only natural Son of God, we all have become children of God for Christ's sake. Um, He is not just the Father of Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that glorious truth. Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of Christ. But Christ invites us to regard God as our Father just as he is the Father of Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God, and we've been made brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our identity now as members of the family. It's the glorious truth that Jesus proclaimed in John's gospel after his resurrection. When he told the women, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Go say to my brothers, he hadn't called them that before. Tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's a reminder of how profoundly the work of Jesus Christ has changed us and changed our relationship to God. We have him now as father in common with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this Father in common with one another. Um, We're we're reminded of that too when we pray, our Father who art in heaven. I don't know if you ever pray the Lord's Prayer alone. Um, I do. And when I pray it alone, I still pray our Father, even though I'm the only one praying. I bet you do that too. Maybe it would feel strange to say, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It wouldn't be wrong, but we still pray are. And it's a reminder to us that we have our Father in common, not only with our Lord Jesus Christ, but with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a profound sense that when we pray, we pray with all of them, even when we're by ourselves. Um, I love how Arsinus, one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, puts it. He said, but someone may perhaps be ready to say it is often the case that Christians pray at home when the church is ignorant of it. But then Christians and the whole church always pray for themselves and for all the members with desire and affection. Love is an habitual quality, abiding even when we are asleep. And it is not an affection or passion quickly passing away. Hence, when anyone prays alone in his closet, that is sort of alone by himself, the whole church prays with him in affection and desire. It's a wonderful thing to think about, isn't it? That we're never really alone in our prayers. There is the affection and love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are people praying for us that we've never met. 
Right? The same way we pray for, for all Christians in the world, for everyone to know the Lord, for people to come. There are people we pray for, our brothers and sisters, we've never met. We never meet them, but we pray for them, and we hold them up in our love and affection before the Lord. And there are people, there are Christians around the world who've never met us and will never meet us in this life. And they pray for us. Isn't it a wonderful way to think about that as God's kingdom spreads from, from east to west and all over the world, that there are people praying for us even when we're asleep, and that we're praying for other people even when we're asleep. There's this love and affection in all of God's people. And praying our Father reminds us that we're not alone in our prayers. That we share the Lord Jesus Christ in common with all of our brothers and sisters in the world who are loved by God and kept for Jesus Christ. It reminds us of what dearly loved children we really are. And because we have this relationship with our Father, we can be sure that He hears our prayers that our Father will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Keeping in mind that God is a Father is helpful for us. Father is something we understand. We have an analogy for it in our lives. And it becomes a helpful analogy in prayer because good fathers don't always give children exactly what they want. Right? If a father gives the child anything they want, that's not the mark of good parenting. Children have to be told no from time to time. I'm sorry to tell you that, boys and girls, because I know when I was a kid, I always thought I knew better um, than my parents did. But if my parents had let me do whatever I wanted to do, I'd have had chocolate cake for breakfast and ice cream for breakfast, and that would not be a way to grow up healthy. It might have been a way to grow up happy, but it wouldn't have been a way to grow up healthy. And so if I said, can I have ice cream for breakfast, my parents would have said, no, that's not good for you. Right? Good parents have to do that from time to time, not give children the things that they want. And why? Because they know better what you need. And that's a helpful thing to think about when we pray to God. God is a good father. And he knows what we need. And he knows that sometimes we ask for things that wouldn't be good for us. I don't know what the spiritual equivalent is of chocolate cake for breakfast, but I know there has to be one. And we sometimes bring it up in our prayers, and our Heavenly Father has to say, you know, that wouldn't be good for you. It's helpful for us to remember that. that We have a Father in Heaven who loves us, and because He loves us, He doesn't just give us everything we ask for. He does give us everything that we need. Everything that we need for our bodies, everything we need for our souls. And he only withholds from us those things that are not good for us and would not contribute to our salvation. And isn't it wonderful to know that he knows what's best for us even even when we don't know ourselves what's best for us? And we have that kind of father who is a good father and even truer than any earthly parent could be. There are people who struggle thinking about God as father because of their experiences with fathers. It's important for us to remember that even the best of our earthly parents are not perfect. 
And the worst of earthly parents are probably not worthy of the name. But God is a faithful father. And he's a true father. He's a perfect father. And he will not fail us even when earthly parents can. It's a wonderful confession that we read in Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Earthly parents can fail. God is a parent who doesn't fail, who will not forget his people. Uh, what a father, what a thing it is to have God as our father who loves us and hears us when we pray. And Jesus wants us to know not only who our father is, he wants us to consider where our father is. That also is important for our prayers, to think about where our Father is when we pray to Him. Question 121 asks, why the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from His almighty power everything needed for body and soul. When we call God our Father, we are not to forget that He is in heaven that he dwells in that place where the fullness of his glory is seen. Um, it's a wonderful thing to think about heaven from time to time. Um, it's a good exercise to think about heaven, to lift up our hopes to that place, and to think about what it testifies to us about our God. It's where the fullness of his glory is on display his glory seen in his rule and his government of all things. There is a throne surrounded by the angelic hosts that praise his name for who he is and for what he does. It's that place that speaks to us of freedom from all corruption and change. Right? Everything there, has, as has been said, has always been holy or has now been made for all times holy. It's a place where corruption and change can no longer come. It speaks of that blessed certainty and unchangeable glory. It's a place that's pictured to us in Scripture of incomparable greatness and riches. Right? When John sees heaven in Revelation, the best he can often do is describe it in the most kinds of precious things the world has to offer. It has streets of gold. It has gates that are huge pearls. Right? Everything is valuable things because that's what heaven is. It's a place of incomparable riches and it speaks of a God who has in, an incomparable store of things, an inexhaustible store of good to give to his people. Right? If you can afford to pave the, the streets with gold... Just how rich are you? It speaks of the richness of our God, his ability to provide for us. Heaven is the place where we see the fullness of his glory. Thinking of him in heaven, we're reminded of his power. That there is the almighty God who is capable of giving us all that we need. Thinking of him in heaven, we are reminded of his goodness that he is a good father 
who not only has an abundant store of riches and mercy and grace, but pours them out generously on his people. The God who is too wise to make mistakes and too good to be unkind. That's the God we think of when we think of him being in heaven. It helps us to give him the proper reverence in our prayers as well. He is a father, but he is the great king over all the earth. And remembering him in his heavenly glory causes us to humble ourselves before him. It's a wonderful thing that we can call him our father, but it does not detract from the fact that he is the great I am, the great God of heaven and earth. Remembering his glory will always cause us then to humble ourselves before him. Even Absalom in his pride and hypocrisy and his rebellion, when he came before his father David, he bowed down. He recognized something of who he was. How much more should we bow down before our Father who is enthroned in heaven? It helps us to pay the proper reverence to our Father and the fact that this Father has been willing to become our Father. That this great God has been willing to become our God. John Chrysostom, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople in the 300s, points out how great it is a thing that God becomes our Father He says, how wonderful is the love of God to man. How vast the honor conferred. What prayer can sufficiently express the gratitude we owe to him who has crowned us with such mercies? Consider, my beloved, the worthlessness of your nature and mine. Trace our origin, earth, dust, clay, mud, ashes, dust we are, And unto dust we shall return. Next contemplate the inestimable riches of the divine goodness towards us that you are commanded to call God Father. That one who is earthly is commanded to claim a heavenly father. A mortal to claim an immortal father. A corruptible to claim an incorruptible father. A child of time to claim an eternal father. That you who but two or three days ago were nothing more than clay are commanded to claim him as father who is from everlasting to everlasting God. It's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? There's a reason they called him the golden tongue when he preached. It's a wonderful summary to think about that. Not just when we think about how who he is in his loftiness, but that in his loftiness he was willing to become our father because he loved us so much. And remembering where he is will help us to know his glory and help us to reverence and honor him as we ought. And finally, I think we can say one of the reasons it's a blessing to pray to our father who art in heaven is because heaven is the place where all of our hopes reside. It's a place that we should love to think about and love to contemplate because it's really where all our hopes live. Our Father is where all our, all our hopes are. Right? It's the place where God dwells in unveiled glory. Isn't that our great hope to see God? To see Him face to face? 
to see the Lord Jesus Christ and to see his glory? Don't we hope for that? It's the place where the souls of saints made perfect are gathered. It's the place of our hope if we should die before the Lord Jesus Christ returns that we will go there and when our souls go there, they will be perfected before the Lord. It's a place where the souls of saints made perfect are gathered. It's the place where we will find rest from our labors. We can already pull, feel the pull of Monday, can't we? I hate to bring it up because Sunday night's not over yet. But we can already feel the pull of it, right? Um, it's a hard thing about as Sunday goes on and comes to an end, you know, okay, it's going to start again. It's a little different for a pastor. Monday's my day off, so I feel a little bit different. But we all feel that. It's, it's we're going forth from here. Heaven is the place where all the faithful finally find rest from their labors. It's the place where those hopes are residing. It's the place where our Lord is, who's come into his glory and who's been praised in heaven as the Lord who is triumphant. Don't we want to hear how heaven praises him? It's one thing to hear it described in Revelation. It's different than hearing the thing itself, right? Um, to, To know that the praise sounds like the roar of mighty waters. It's a great description. It's a wonderful description. It's a vivid description. It's not the same thing as hearing it. One day we'll hear it. One day we'll sing it. And we'll hear ourselves singing in key. What a glory that will be. To be there and praise the Lord who has made all things new. Praying to our Father in heaven reminds us that's where our hopes are. He is where all of our hopes reside. And every time we pray, we lift up our hearts to that place. To the home we've never been to, where our true citizenship is. And are reminded that our Father is there. And that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming from there to bring us with him. That where he is, we may be also. May it fill us with that joy of addressing God as our Father in heaven when we are reminded of who he is and who he is to us and where he is and what that place means to us. And may it fill our hearts with love and hope and joy for our Father who is in heaven. Let's stand together and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer again together as we close. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.